Blog Talk Radio. We assembled here today are issuing a new decree to be heard in every city, in every foreign capital, and in every hall of power. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. Every decision on trade, on taxes, on immigration, on foreign affairs will be made to benefit American workers and American families. We must protect our borders from the ravages of other countries making our products, stealing our companies, and destroying our jobs. Protection will lead to great prosperity and strength. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. I am your voice. So to every parent, who dreams for their child, and every child who dreams for their future. I say these words to you tonight. I am with you, I will fight for you, and I will win for you. To all Americans tonight, in all of our cities, and in all of our towns, I make this promise. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. God bless you and good night. I love you.
happy Wednesday. Thank you for tuning into the Rory Sodder Show. I'm your host, Rory Sodder. We have so much going on. Uh, it's, our last show was on Thursday. We had amazing guests last week. Uh, we, got, we had such great dialogue, such great uh, plot lines, uh, established so many different um, policies and matters that were going on uh, in the media. Um, you know, we, we, we get covered so much ground. And I, I do want to thank, uh, as always, uh, my amazing special guests, uh, my co-hosts, uh, the amazing, unbelievable audience. We're now listened to and downloadable in 22 different countries. You can find us in over 50 different platforms online, and as well as the sponsors, as usual. Thank you guys so much. Uh, you guys are incredible as well. Um, over the weekend, a lot has happened, and, and since we've last been on the air, which was Thursday, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot has happened. Um, let's get right down to it, though. We have a huge show tonight. Uh, we have Army veteran, physician, scientist, world traveler, poverty reduction expert, and creator of the ho and host of the Demo Crisis podcast. Rob Cohen will be calling in. We have doctor, award-winning speaker, veteran, technology expert, best-selling author, and Arizona superintendent of public instruction, Dr. Bob Branch, will be calling in. We have popular talk show host, entrepreneur, political activist, and freedom fighter, Will Johnson, will be calling in. We also have economist, entrepreneur, motivational speaker, writer for Town Hall, Newsmax, LiveZet, and a professor of finance at Stockton University in New Jersey, Dr. Michael Bussler, will be calling in. We'll be hearing from leaders of Blacks for Trump. Uh, on the phone now, I do have one of my co-hosts, Legislative Affairs for President Ronald Reagan, international security expert, Islamic historian, political activist, and best-selling author, Valerie Greenfeld. How are you? For having me on. Excellent. I also want to um, introduce activist, political strategist, and director, Gianni Rodriguez. How are you, my friend? Doing great. Glad to be on. Well, it's great to have you here. Uh, guys? We have a hundred different things going on at once uh, with the, all these media headlines. So I'm going to make it easy for the audience and everyone. Let's start with the State of the Union, uh, but so much to get into tonight, and I do not say that lightly. Um, but let's give, give a brief recap of President Trump's State of the Union. Uh, here it is in three minutes. Clips, the best parts. Winning for our party. Victory is winning for our country. We must reject the politics of revenge, resistance, and retribution, and embrace the boundless potential of cooperation, compromise, and the common good. Exactly one century after Congress passed the constitutional amendment giving women the right to vote, we also have more women serving in Congress than at any time before. An economic miracle is taking place in the United States, and the only thing that can stop it 
are foolish wars, politics, or ridiculous partisan investigations. And then we had the case of the governor of Virginia, where he stated he would execute a baby after birth to defend the dignity of every person I am asking Congress to pass legislation to prohibit the late-term abortion of children who feel pain the mother's Congress has 10 days left to pass a bill that will fund our government, protect our homeland, and secure our very dangerous southern border. But the proper wall never got built. I will get it built. But my relationship with Kim Jong-un is a good one. Chairman Kim and I will meet again on February 27th and 28th in Vietnam. The next major priority for me and for all of us should be to lower the cost of health care and prescription drugs and to protect patients with pre-existing conditions. After 24 months of rapid progress, our economy is the envy of the world. America is again winning each and every day. Members of Congress, the state of our union is strong. So there you have it, guys. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. You know, his performance last night, his speech, you know, the way he presented himself. He put everything into perspective. He laid it out. He laid it all on the table. Uh, perhaps one of the greatest speeches in American history. And I'm not the only person saying that. There's many people, even on the other side of the aisle, that are blown away with how uh, professional, how um, compassionate, how, you know, uh, how, just how open Trump was with his, with his address, with how people are giving him credit that never even gave him credit before. I mean, we had a CNN poll that gave him uh, his performance a 76%. 76% of CNN watchers gave Trump uh, a positive um, um, result. They, they, they found the speech positive, 76%. And that's liberal CNN. And CBS did a poll, and they found that 72% of their viewers enjoyed Trump's speech. And that's very liberal as well. So you have all these different outlets, and you have all these different commentators I know some on the left are criticizing Trump, but you also got a, uh, a handful that are giving him praise. Um, and it's unbelievable. I mean, the guy comes in there, you know, he's as relaxed as can be. The, he doesn't know what pressure is. I mean, he never uh, – it's like he never worries. It's like he knows he's going to get it done. He knows that everything's going to go accordingly. And everything he brought up last night is totally relevant uh, with everything we are dealing with right now. And I will tell you this, he did not leave anything out. Um, let's go over some, some details. Five million Americans are now off food stamps. We are now the hottest economy anywhere in the world. Unemployment, the lowest in a half a century. 
Americans with disability, uh, employment for them is at an all-time low. More people working now than ever before, 157 million people. Uh, they doubled the child tax credit, uh, estate tax and death tax for small business and ranchers, uh, completely gone. Um, Obama individual mandate, uh, you know, they, they uh, ha- repealed, and uh, the right to try, obviously, is very important. Uh, Trump has cut more regulations than all administrations combined. If you go look at that, that is the truth, and it's unbelievable. In a two-year time frame, he did that. We are now, think about this, guys. What I'm about to tell you is absolutely mind-blowing. We are now the number one producer in oil. Yeah, oil. Yeah, I bet everybody's thinking, what about Saudi Arabia? No, us in oil and natural gas for the first time in 65 years. This, this is unbelievable. Oh, no, my bad, my bad. I read that wrong. Um, we are the number one producer in, in, US, in, in our country for oil and natural gas, but the 65-year thing was meant to the next thing I was about to say. Uh, for the first time in 65 years, we are the leader in net exporter of energy. So, I mean, that's huge. We have the most powerful military on earth right now. I mean, Trump has put so much um, money into the military to build us back up, to make sure we're ready for any uh, insane situation that might come our way. Um, let's not forget criminal reform, bipartisan. He talked about that yesterday. The First Steps Act, which gives people uh, in jail second chances, uh, especially if they're a first-time offender. Um, let, let's, let's talk about this. 100,000 um, assaults, 30,000 30, sex crimes, and over 10,000 murders from illegals crossing our border just in a year time frame. 58% of jobs filled last year went to females. I mean, and what, what are the feminists really complaining about? Listen to that again. 58% of the jobs last year went to females. They're, they're the majority. But still, you've got them all saying, oh, we're oppressed. You know, we don't have rights. We've been violated. Ah, give me a break. There's more women serving in Congress now than ever before. Trump made that very clear. Economic empowerment to women uh, in other countries. Uh, they're, they're influencing that. I know Ivanka is helping in a lot of ways. Uh, Trump brought up reciprocal trade. Reciprocal, very important word. Everybody needs to play fair and play by the game. Uh, pharmaceutical corruption. Uh, we know that these drug companies and these pharmaceutical prices are beyond ridiculous, and some of these companies get away with murder. I mean, I'm, I'm all for capitalism. Do not get me wrong. But there's a, a point when you're going too far, and people have to go to other countries so they can get their meds cheaper. Unacceptable. Um, and a lot of times it's all built in the same laboratory. Let, and I have a couple more things, and I want to get to my whole panel. Trump also talked about eliminating the HIV epidemic within 10 years. He wants to have the research all under control, which is huge. $500 million to childhood cancer research, school choice for America's children. Uh, he gave probably the biggest pro-life uh, message uh, than, than any other leader we've ever seen last night. I mean, his pro-life message was unreal. Um, we have peace on the, on the Korean Peninsula. Think about that. For the longest time, uh, there was so much tension and struggles with them. No, no missile launches in 15 months. Um, you know, the toughest sanctions put on the Middle East under the Trump administration. 
and Trump's impact right after he was Trump made impact on the economy right after he was elected. Some people were talking about that last night. You know, if when Trump got elected in November of 2016, do, did we see the market starting to, uh, you know, cruising and cruising? And I believe we did. I believe when that news came to light and came to the surface, uh, the markets went crazy and they knew uh, that we were going to have a very successful president, especially in the business realm and uh, economical side of things. But I want to I want to introduce um, my other co-host, a lobbyist, political strategist, and activist, Josh Halavate. How are you, buddy? Doing fantastic. How are you? Doing good, man. Good to have you here. But Gianni, let's let's go to you. Let's go to you first. What are your thoughts? Man, I mean, I'm telling you, man. I've studied cause when I was in school. I had I studied politics a lot. And, you know, I was reading the first uh, State of the Union, even from George Washington, and I'll watch all of the State of the Unions, you know, have tests on these things. When I yeah. saw or heard President Trump speaking, I was blown away, yeah. man. I mean, it was tears yeah. coming from my Me eyes. too. I mean, from the military. Like yeah, beyond the profound, testimonies. like something you can't even put into words. Yeah, you know, like the testimonies of, you know, the veterans and – uh, the testimonies of the the the, 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 ch- the child with the child cancer and things of that nature. It was very explosive. Um, and I really feel like we needed. This is what Nancy Pelosi was scared about. We really needed a national yeah. event like this where people will actually. By the way, did you um, see her face the entire thing? She was tweaking on some serious drugs. I don't know if she was taking <laughs> pills or drinking, but she was on something. Sorry, continue. <laughs> yeah, but. <laughs> So I believe this is what America needed because if you saw the CBS poll, you know, a lot of people surprisingly watching CBS agreed with what Trump was saying because he put out yep. the truth. The truth is yep. everyone free. And he put out what he's done in America in the past and what is his plan for America. And like Donald Trump said, a win, a victory is not a win for your party, it's for the country. And he saw how black unemployment is down, Latino unemployment is down. Women uh, have the most jobs, like 58% of the jobs in the last year. Uh, there's a lot of women yeah. that serving in Congress. I mean, these things are not bad things. These things are good for the country. And when you're putting right. that kind of vision out, out there, a lot of people are watching and they're listening, and they're like, man, like – Maybe this guy isn't as bad as I, I, I thought I thought he was or how the fake news media puts him out to be. So I feel like that State of the Union address was not just, you know, a typical, oh, well, this has always happened. No, it was more of, listen, enough of the fake fake uh, news media bullshit, and let's actually yeah. get down to what's going on in America and what has Trump accomplished. And even when right. he mentioned the women part, right. I was shocked to see – all the you know the white people, the, I mean the people in the white clothes, uh, all the women get up and start clapping. Dressed I mean Trump trolled them, <laughs> but you know Trump, Donald President Donald Trump trolled the crap out of them. You even got the women standing up agreeing that the economy is so good, even the feminists are uh, prospering <laughs> off of it. I mean, right, and you like, got the Democrats there uh, completely. They don't know what to do with themselves. And, I mean, you had guys like Joe Manchin, who I, you know, have some respect for because he's one of those people that has voted with Trump many times. He got up and started clapping, but he was one of the very few Democrats uh, that was applauding it. But you could tell the the Democrats are – 
Yeah, Go and ahead. I, Kirsten, I, I know we don't like people in Arizona, especially Republicans in Arizona do not like Kirsten Cinema. but let me tell you something. I, I can't stand so Kirsten Cinema. communist. <laughs> yeah, but I Go gained ahead. so much respect for her when she at least Right, when she got, got up, up and started, started clapping. clapping. Did you see? And then the did, woman by the told way, her, by the way, everybody has to hear this. That woman next to her, did anybody catch what the woman said? Watch your ass. She said that to Kristen Cinema. Did you hear that? Yeah. Yeah, I saw that on Facebook. I saw that uh, people were talking about it. Yeah, I saw a lot of people talking about it on Facebook, um, uh, using her words or the way her mouth was moving and things. I saw that. Yeah, I mean, it's like in that party, it's like people can't even make their own decisions, especially, you know, some of these these senators. It's like they're controlled. I mean, I know they're controlled, obviously. I mean, that's in Washington. I mean, we all know that, but – in a sense that they can't even get up and clap or give credit where it's earned. I mean, it's, there's some, there's e- a lot of evilness on the left. And, you know, I know we have some flaws with the rhinos, but uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, but a- as you were saying, Gianni. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's really pretty much all I was saying is that it's, it's a very historic speech. It was even better than last year's. I like, I right. really also, before I give it up, I also like, the way Trump tried to stay away from inflammatory speeches and, you know, oh, yeah. saying, you know, like build the wall. Like I we agree with build the wall, but I mean, come on, like you have right. to do, you have to kind of calm the rhetoric down so you can reach out across the aisle for the state of the union. Cause it's about America. Right. And I yeah. really like how he did that. And I've had so many people, even on Facebook that said, Oh, yeah. I didn't know that black unemployment is down. You have people. Right. Like, this. Black people, I didn't know that black unemployment is down. This is how uninformed, disinformed, and misinformed people are in America. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. And you saw all the people that he brought uh, to his event, all these amazing people that have prevailed and lived through some of the hardest times and some of the, uh, the, the crazy sacrifices they had to take uh, in their adventures in life. I mean, we had you know, uh, the cancer survivor, 10 years old. We had Buzz Aldrin, uh, the guy to put the flag on the moon. Um, we had uh, yeah. a guy that escaped the Holocaust with his family, which was, it was hard. It was, it, it touched the heart. I mean, it was so heartwarming and everything. I mean, all these different storylines and the, the family that just had their uh, parents killed by illegal aliens in Nevada. Uh, it's just crazy. Yeah, you know? absolutely, man, absolutely. Uh, um, I'm going to get to our special guest here in one second, but I do want to get to uh, Valerie, and then I'm going to go to Josh. So I I, um, I agree with what you guys were saying. I think that Trump did an amazing job. I think it was by far the best speech he's ever given. Um, and I think he showed so much leadership um, by bringing the Democrats and the Republicans together. And like you said, I I wasn't sure if he was going to be able to do it, not because of him, but I didn't know that if they would allow it. Um, and uh, I thought it was beautiful. I mean, uh, he brought them together, and he brought he he had all of the subjects that we needed to discuss in a bipartisan mm-hmm. way. And I think these uh, guests, you know, Ronald Reagan was the first one to bring um, yeah. people to the State of the Union on and discuss right. their stories. And I found right. it to be incredibly powerful. Um, and last night was no exception. 
Um, yeah. You know, like you said, he uh, he really brings the humanity into the yeah. speech that way, um, and brings people it, together. I mean, who is going to be against any one of those people that show up? You know, you can't you can't be American and be against any of those those incredible live stories. Um, I also wanted to mention, you know, I didn't realize until a while into the speech, and they started panning over to this this crowd of white dress or whatever, um, but they were trying to make a statement, and I didn't really know what the statement was. I mean, is white, like, you know, white is like purity, and it's, I don't know, it's surrender if you've got a flag. I mean, it could be, I don't know, it could be anything, and so I didn't really get what they were trying to make a statement about, um, but the Republican women were not wearing white. It was all Democrat women, Democratic right. women. So I thought maybe they were trying to make a statement, you know, how many women are now elected from the Democratic Party or women's yeah. suffrage. I guess that's when the women started wearing white originally. Um, but, you know, women's suffrage came into um, um, law by the Republican Party, right. Republican women, not, not Democratic yeah. women. Well, um, they were, but they were I, comparing... Bingo. They were comparing this white, these white outfits uh, to the whole KKK situation. I mean, there were memes online with the, Demo- the Democrat women on the left wearing these outfits, and there were memes saying, we haven't seen this much white from the Democratic Party since they started the KKK. So there were a lot of jokes about why they were wearing <laughs> oh, wow. white and stuff like that. You know? Yeah, I saw – I also uh, – uh, just to add real quick to that, I also saw a meme on Facebook that they were talking about – I think it was Hitler women or something like that. They were all wearing white uh, marks throughout the streets. I think I saw something like that. That was crazy, man. Damn. Uh, Josh, let's go to you. Oh, and by yeah, the way, real, so, quick, uh, real quick, real quick, it. Josh, v- Valerie, you used to work for Ronald Reagan. And matter of fact, it's his birthday today. So, everybody, I do oh, want to wish a very – How old would he have been? Over 100. Uh, what? Oh, God, he was. I, I believe he was born. I don't know what year he was born. Somebody will have to find that for me. But uh, but yeah, it sounds about right, Valerie, or somewhere around there. But Josh, go ahead. Yeah. So first off, in regards to the women wearing white, uh, like Valerie um, was was uh, brain thinking there. Uh, it was for suffrage was the idea, which I thought was kind of funny because all of them were voted. Uh, into office by women um, as well as men, and they were all allowed to vote. So I'm not really sure why they were bringing up an old issue. I thought it was uh, kind of irrelevant. Um, you know, I, I, what I loved about what Trump did was that he was able to, with the way he presented the speech and with the, the guests he had and the things that he said, he was able to get all of the Democrats to have to stand and applause multiple and multiple times, which I thought yeah. was a, a, a huge deal uh, for Trump to do. But I honestly, though, I came away a little depressed, and here's why: I came away depressed because he's so clearly bipartisan and wants to be bipartisan, and the Democrats yeah. could be involved in getting so many things done that he would be willing, even some things that maybe I don't necessarily agree with, and the Democrats could be right. taking advantage of the situation. But their heads right. are so far up their asses, they don't realize right. that they have a fantastic opportunity at hand, but they continue, right. to, they continue to mess it up. 
And you bring up a you bring up a great point. You're absolutely right. And I strongly believe this as well. Is that you know people don't uh, certain people don't understand how big uh, Trump's heart is. I mean, Trump has a huge heart, and he wants to see people succeed, and he wants you know he wants them to work with each other. He wants them to be able to figure out a deal. He wants to negotiate so he can get his agenda done and maybe give them some of what they want, so everybody can be happy. So you know we don't have to fight. But exactly. I, I really think I really think you know Trump is really getting tired of, in a sense, being taken advantage of because he's given them all this time to work out a deal, and he wants border wall funding. Uh, which is totally reasonable and, and totally um, something they voted on before. But we all know the reason they don't want yeah. to give it to Trump is because they know that's Trump's biggest campaign promise. And, uh, you know, they've already been defeated, but uh, the Democrats feel like the, they would definitely be defeated then. So, uh, you know, they're going to go through all this chaos and uh, commotion, and I don't see them making a deal within the next week. I think Trump's going to have to declare a state of emergency. But, uh, Josh, I'll go back to your thoughts. Yeah, and I'm gonna get to our first yeah, question yeah. in a second. Just one, just one more thing. I did really love how he brought up the abortion issue and was extremely strong mm. on that point. Like, really, I've never heard him talk about it before, or like I've never heard anybody bring it up uh, in the State of the Union. So good for him on that. Absolutely, absolutely. Let Let's go to a 30 second commercial, and we're gonna be right back with our uh, our our guest, our first guest of the show. So I am very excited. Bear with me and... Would you know what to do in the event of an active shooter, a terrorist attack, or an unforeseen altercation? Whether at home or in the workplace, SkyRace Security can train you and your employees how to defuse a potential violent situation. Our goal at SkyRace Security is to keep our clients safe. With our professional and experienced Israeli Defense Force trainers, we teach strategies for safety that may someday save lives. Sign up at SkyRaysSecurity.com for our workplace violence prevention and training classes or call 240-888-0682. Excellent, excellent. So welcome back to the show, everybody. This is Rory Sauter. Uh, if you are just joining us, we are about to introduce our special guest. Uh, we've been talking a lot about uh, the State of the Union uh, yes, from yesterday in the opening of our show, but I'm very happy to introduce our first special guest, brand new to the show, Army veteran, physician, scientist, world traveler, poverty reduction expert, and creator and host of the Demo Crisis podcast, Rob Cohen. How are you? Hey, wow. thanks for having me. It's great, Rob. It's great to have you here. Uh, you've lived quite the life, uh, adventurous, um, incredible, uh, profound. Um, you know, you've, uh, and by the way, the most important thing, <clears throat> thank you for your service. Thank you for your dedication to our country. Thank you for all you do. Um, since you're new to the show, uh, what I like to do with my guests when they first come on, I always like to get, you know, like a background, like your your life, your bio, where it all started, you know, the, the roads you've been down, that sort of stuff. Yeah, so you guys are in Arizona. There was a long time I thought I was going to be a cancer well, well, doctor. Well, I'm the, I'm the host. I, I, I'm in Arizona, but I have my co-host out of New York, co-host out of Ohio, and co-host out of Washington, D.C. on the phone right now. <laughs> 
Got it. So I, I, there was a long time I thought I was going to be a cancer doctor, um, just like many members of my family. And then uh, I, I sort of noticed that the world was looking – a lot of trends were going in a bad direction um, in, in the first decade of this century. The Iraq war started to go yes. badly. We had the financial crisis. And I really became a big admirer of uh, Arizona Senator John McCain. He sort of became my political hero for uh, pretty much ever since 2000 when he ran, and, and my appreciation for him just kind of grew from there. So he inspired me to join the Army. You know, At the time, Iraq was really having a tough time, and I felt, well, here I am in the middle of medical school. I can go be a, a doctor for the troops because the, the soldiers on the front lines were really suffering some pretty heavy casualties. And so I, I was pretty inspired to follow in, in his footsteps. And then I worked for his campaign – or actually, excuse me, I worked for his campaign first – and then when we lost, to my great surprise, then I joined the Army and spent three years uh, doing my residency at Walter Reed and then deployed to yeah. Kuwait and Iraq um, a couple of years ago. And then, um, and then ever since then, I've been uh, trying to work – what became very clear is places like Iraq suffer from sort of overwhelming uh, poverty and general governmental dysfunction, something we have a less yeah. severe form of. Of in this country, and so I'm just really interested in big questions and how we solve these really difficult, in what appear to be intransigent problems, and that's what our podcast yeah. is about. You know, my favorite episode is 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 our Teddy Roosevelt episode because Teddy Roosevelt <laughs> faced all of the similar problems we're facing today, but he managed to solve pretty much all of them. And so, uh, if, if only we could do the same today. Wow, I this is not, this is good. This is good. I uh, I have a lot of questions. Obviously, I have a lot to say. Uh, I'm going to start with Gianni, though. Uh, exactly about what? Oh, did you? I thought I thought you had a question. Um, Josh, go ahead. Oh no. I, yeah. So uh, the question. I, so when you first kind of got on the the John McCain train, so to speak. Um, what kind of at first led you in to kind of want to do that? Because obviously you're in you were in med school. What kind of got you initially interested uh, in politics, especially in John McCain? And then what specifically during the campaign got you to really be super interested in the military? Yeah, I mean, I think I think if you look at John McCain's career, he he uh, he. In my opinion, he really focused more on where the right solution was rather than which party was advocating it. You know, sometimes the Democrats are right about something and sometimes the Republicans are right. And there's very few politicians today that are willing to put country over party, if you will. And um and that that's an affliction that we've we've had. It's getting worse. It's been getting worse since the nineties for sure. And arguably it's it's always been there in our country. But whether you look at issues like his compromise over campaign finance or immigration or um the judicial filibuster, or um, what else did he? What else did he do? Um, oh, the, te- the moderate position on taxes back in 2000. He just, it, in my opinion, he always took the moderate position, and that's that's very much where I fall on the spectrum. And um, I, I just, and I appreciated the way he he wasn't afraid to take on members of his own party, members of the Democratic Party when they were wrong, and and he was usually right. The surge was a great example. Iraq, the Iraq War was going absolutely terribly. And John McCain had the guts to get out and say, we need to fire Donald Rumsfeld, get a new strategy, put more troops in. The Democrats wanted to pull out, as you know. And and uh, he he got the right general in charge. He advocated, went on every TV show and talked about how great General Petraeus was. He was right, and then three years later, Iraq was 
more peaceful than most American cities. And then he said, don't pull troops out of Iraq in 2011. And of course, Barack Obama did to fulfill a campaign promise. And then ISIS showed up a few years later. And so John McCain was just right kind of every single step along that way. It was just very impressive to me because he, he went with what was true rather than what some you know cable news show was uh, said was regurgitating from a particular political party, and that you know I could I could go on, but that that's that's my general uh, admiration for the guy. I got a question, Rory. Yeah, go ahead, Johnny. Yeah. So okay, when it comes to wars and pulling out, you know, you know, Trump, you know, yesterday in the State of the Union said something about you know there's no need to fight in endless wars or. There's no need to keep in troops, you know, overseas in Syria and places of this nature. So I, I'm willing to learn because I mean I don't I'm not really good when it comes to you know things of that nature, um, national um, uh, policies and stuff like that. But what do you think is the best? What what could we do? Was General Mad Dog Mattis right when he resigned because he knew that Trump was saying, "Hey, we need to pull out our boys and bring them back home because there's no need to fight in this war." And with John McCain, I know, you know, he's usually – people call him neocon and things. But, you know, what do you think is the best decision that Trump could make, you know, out of your years of experience with John McCain and others? Yeah, yeah, yeah out of Syria, so yeah. I mean I'm, I'm very much with Secretary Mattis on this one. Mattis, as you know, is a, a Marine of, of four or five decades in the Marine Corps, four-star general, one of the toughest Americans, one of the smartest, most uh, – well, well-read strategists in in the country, and so is General Petraeus, and 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 we you know we learn. So as far as just, I will get to your broader question in a minute. As far as Justice's decision in Syria, you know we learned this lesson so recently. Obama pulled troops out based on a campaign promise in 2011, saying we don't want endless wars. Everyone in the military said it was a bad idea, and three years later, ISIS shows up because the Shia government in Iraq basically starts to crack down on the Sunni population. The Sunni population says we're not going to do that, and so we're going to let ISIS take over. And then we had to go back in and spend more money and more troops and, and, and quite frankly, lose, lose a lot of our credibility. And it would be really – to me and to Jim you – know, again, it's worth pointing out that this is the one, the one thing that was too far for Jim Mattis. Of all of Trump's various um, sort of uh, idiosyncrasies, let's say – Jim Mattis was able to tolerate most of them, but but abandoning the Kurds who have done all the fighting for us and who are really special people, actually, um, abandoning them to Turkey or to Bashar Assad, who's well known for using chemical weapons on everybody, is, is a dereliction of American duty. John McCain used to say, you know, presidents don't lose wars, political parties don't lose wars, nations lose wars, nations lose allies, and nations are the ones that bear the consequences of this. And so, I mean, it, I mean, you're correct. Nobody wants an endless war. Endless wars are terrible. Wars are expensive, and, and there's a lot of blood. But sometimes you, you an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, and the example everybody always gives is, is South Korea. South Korea, the Korean War was a terrible war. Um, 35,000 American casualties where we fought the Chinese in brutal combat in the Korean winter, but we, we saved South Korea from communist domination. South Korea is now a first-world country, one of America's best allies. Um, and we have we've had troops in Korea for for 70 years without a single American casualty, and that's allowed us to keep an eye on China. It's allowed us to keep an eye on other people in probably Russia to a certain extent, people in Asia, 
and it's really a wonderful American investment. Now, we don't want to well, do this everywhere, but you know, we always want to avoid uh, the false choice between all or nothing. Hey, hey, Rob, how wow. do you how do you react, Rob? How do you react? And Gianni, I'll let you respond in a sec. But how do you react, Rob, to Trump? You know, mentioning and these are confirmed numbers that uh, uh, around 98% of ISIS uh, is annihilated. I mean, you still have that 2% there. Uh, and and we all we know that stuff can expand, uh, you know stuff can always uh, go you know go back go back to to, to chaos. I mean it, these ISIS members just keep popping up. But what 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 are your thoughts on that? As well as you know Trump, uh, as you can see, isn't the biggest war guy. You know he was against the war in Iraq. He was against the war in Afghan. Um, and he wants to pull our troops out of Syria. He wants to pull our troops out of Syria because he doesn't want to be the world police. Um, do you do you consider his stance on the wars a little more liberal than than what than what you would do, or do you are you in agreement with him? Do you agree that the Iraq and Afghan war was a mistake and uh, we should have never been in Syria in the first place? And you know this the destabilization of the Middle East. I mean, you lived it. You've been out there. There's a lot of questions. I'll try to answer all of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, first of all, the Iraq War was definitely a mistake. Um, it, it cost us yep. 5,000 American dead, 30,000 American wounded, over a trillion dollars. We orphaned an entire generation of Iraqi children. There are there are American soldiers, our, our absolute best, that are have double amputation, severe brain injury. And what did we get out of it? We got a dysfunctional client state of Iran. Where ISIS controls a part of it, right? And so it was. Not only was it a terrible idea, but it was absolutely terribly managed. Um, I mean, should I keep going? And it was based on a lie. There were never. You're you were in the uh, military, uh, and you can. I mean, people say different things, but to the best of my knowledge, there were never uh, weapons of mass destruction. Uh, They only went after Saddam Hussein because of. You know, uh, Dick Cheney, a lot of the back-end equipment uh, with the military companies he owned, as well as uh, da- Saddam Hussein messed with Daddy Bush, so the son wanted to get Saddam Hussein back. I, I, I believe strongly that our government lied to us on that one. I mean, in short, yeah, there were no WMDs. That was pretty clear. I don't know how they managed to get this one passed. And, and with the incredible tragedy that, that it was, Afghanistan is a little bit, bit of a different story since Osama bin Laden was there. Now, as far yeah. as Syria, right? So, so I, I, we, we decided that ISIS go, was go a, back, was a, go back real quick to bin Laden though, because I, I ask this question a lot to different people that are involved with various, you know, parts of government. To me, bin Laden, in a lot of ways, yes, he's evil. He's done a lot of terrible things. But there's no way that he was the the only person involved with 9/11. I mean, they they paint him as the main fall guy, as the as the main person. But I believe there were several people. I I believe you know the American government knew about this, and that's that's one of those uh, things that I talk about. I, I think the government has lied to us so many times, and they set us up for so many things that they have tried to seal and and not tell us the truth about. Unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like to avoid conspiracy theories about uh, what we what we don't know unless we have pretty good evidence for it. I mean, uh, I, I think I think that Osama bin Laden. Yes, I mean, we we were very upset 
the country was after 9-11, and we wanted to get somebody. And what's, what was valuable about getting bin Laden was we showed our enemies that if they try to mess with us, it's not going to go unanswered. Now, did, we, did the Bush administration or the Obama administration handle Afghanistan right? No. And additionally, Afghanistan has not been pacified since 2,000 years ago under Alexander the Great. Right? Al- Afghanistan has been a, a graveyard of empires. The British invaded Afghanistan five times. And it's not, not the easy – these people are really good at fighting off foreign invaders, and each time the British had to retreat with their tail between their legs. So it is, it is not it, – it, it, you know, it was not well managed. I think if we had appropriately resourced it, hadn't gotten distracted in Iraq, hadn't gotten distracted by um, sort of other domestic issues, we might have done a better job. The truth is Afghanistan is, is, pretty, is a pretty big American tragedy because we've spent so much money, a lot of which has been stolen by corrupt Afghani officials. And um, and what do we have to show for it other than a lot of American casualties? So, I mean, it's it, yeah, I mean, it's true. We don't want to be policemen of the world. It's not America's job to go out and get our young guys blown up um, over nothing. Now, if there's a good reason to deploy American power, um, as we were talking about earlier, like in Korea to keep the, the crazy North Korean regime in check or to keep an eye on China or to project power from Germany. We have a lot of military in Germany, which we use to uh, – to basically helped win the Cold War. I mean, all the military in Germany was crucial to winning the Cold War. Um, and right. we are now a lot of our Africa assets are based in Germany. And so it's valuable, you know, if, if we want a world that's good for America, sometimes we have to pay a little bit to right. get that. It's not like the world's just going to be nice to us because they like us. Because to be honest, they don't really like us very much. And, and, and Rob, correct me if I'm wrong, though. Uh, there, there was just a report um, – that that and I know this report's factual, but I want to ask you something. That's why I said correct me if I'm wrong. But the Pentagon just ordered uh, 3,750 more troops to the southwest border. You're all in favor of the wall, right, Rob? I am not in favor of the wall. Oh, whoa, wow, wow. Oh, please elaborate. <laughs> well, I, you know, this is the first time we're meeting, so I don't know how confrontational we want to get. So wait, I'll, I'll let Val- wait. I'm going to let Valerie respond to your uh, Middle East war questions because she's a radical Islam expert. Uh, Valerie, go ahead. Um, I actually agree that um, I I do not think that we should have called out of Syria. I think it was too early, and like you discussed earlier with ISIS, um, you know that's what happens when you leave a vacuum is somebody worse comes in and fills it up. And I think that so much is going on in Syria right now that it's hard to decipher who, you know, who's doing what when. But leaving um, at this time was I, I disagree with. I think it, there's just too much turmoil at the moment. Um, but although I do understand that was one of Trump's um, promises, I just think the timing was wrong. Um, and with regard to the wall, um, I'd love to hear what you have to say, but I, I – you know, as as you know, in the Middle East, I mean, the walls are 99.9% effective in terms of keeping terrorists out. And and, yeah. and look at look at they too. look at what they call El Paso, Texas. I mean, El Paso, Texas, right across from it, the border there is the most dangerous city in Mexico, Juarez, Mexico. They call El Paso, Texas, the most safest place in America, at least one of the safest cities in America. You know why? Because they built a wall there, and they built uh, something to keep the illegals and the crime uh, down 
and it, that's and it, it has it's worked uh, hugely and very significantly, and uh, you know that's why they call it one of the safest cities. And it blows my mind, especially when you have right across the border Juarez, which is the most dangerous city in Mexico, and then you come to America and you're in the safest one of the safest cities in America. It's crazy. But Gianni, go ahead. Oh yeah, so I, I was just gonna say um, before we was a pivot to the wall, which you know kind of adds to the conversation uh, about the wall. When it comes to like global affairs and you know international affairs and foreign policy, like about how do what is your view, Mr. Rob, on military or well, Trump threatening military intervention uh, in Venezuela? Like if uh, Maduro somehow does something that we don't agree with that he's just going to like bring the military in like what are your views on that which can add to the wall also and how you know if we was getting a war that would be I believe a big protector of letting you know army or troops in try to attack uh, American soil okay so on Venezuela Venezuela is a very chaotic situation right now I'm not there on the ground I mean I don't really know what's going on there are more there are more Venezuelan refugees, I think, in the United States than any other country. Um, it's really a tragedy. Venezuela, 30 years ago, was um, was was the oh, second wealthy. richest country in in our in our uh, hemisphere after after us. Oh, I think they were, I guess, after us in Canada. Um, they were they were very rich, and then they elected this clown who spent all of the money, and then sorry. No, I was just agreeing with you. Oh yeah, yeah. And so, and then he, you know, bankrupted the country, and then the price of oil tanked, and now their country is a total hellhole. Um, you know, there are a lot of innocent people there. There is a role for American power to protect innocent people, um, but you know, the again, as we've been discussing, American power needs to be deployed intelligently. If you deploy it unintelligently, you get the cluster in Iraq, right? So. And you know what's terrifying is that you look at Venezuela. You look at the state that it's in, the, the kind of condition, and how you're right. Once upon a time, it was a very wealthy country, very luxurious. And you look at what these politicians on the left want to do that have gone so far left communist style. They want to turn us into Venezuela. And, the, and they, they, they always say, well, they just practice socialism over there in the, the wrong way. They didn't do it right. There is no way to do socialism or communism right. I mean, the, these people that have gone so far left, they blow my mind with their mindset. I can't fathom, it, it, except it's just nothing but corruption. You know their their mindset. I mean, why? You know why? And this ideology, and it it's getting so popular. You know, there's so many people that w- want socialism. It's it's scary. It's scary. And you know what, Rob? You've been in these Middle East countries. You know exactly what socialism and communism looks like. So, you know, the thing is, you, you asked a really good question. Why, so why, why are people in love with socialism right now when history has shown that it really doesn't work, not just in Venezuela, but also like Eastern Europe was the sort of best test case. It really didn't work well. The answer is, of course, because things are really tough right now for a lot of people, and different people respond in, to- in different toxic ways. Um, some people become very militaristic, and and, uh, and and you know you get the those neo Nazis marching in Charlottesville, and other people uh, become socialists. And and you know as we you know t- during Teddy Roosevelt's time, you actually had this 
because the country was going through such turmoil. Labor and capital were at each other's throats. They were tearing the country apart. And so the, the far right and the far left actually looked a lot then like they do today. The Socialist Party actually ran for president. This guy named Eugene Debs won 4 to 6% of the vote um, in 1904 to 1912, and he reminds me a lot of Bernie Sanders. You know, He's got good intentions, but he ignores the fact that socialism just has never worked. And so you, you look at Venezuela. It wasn't – I mean it, socialism was a big problem there, absolutely, but, but the, real, the real problem in my view – I mean socialism was one of them, but he, you know, he bankrupted the country. And what's scary in our country, we're bankrupting our country too. We have a $21 trillion debt. We, he, that, yeah. Hugo Chavez thought he could just spend money forever, and, and it would never be a problem. Right. Well, eventually it becomes a problem, and, and as we keep piling up this debt on, our, on, our, on ourselves, the people on this phone call are the ones that are going to be left holding the bag while all the, the baby boomers are off retiring and the rich people are off in their private yachts on some Caribbean island. We, this, this $21 trillion debt is a really, really scary problem, which is we, we have to right. confront, in my opinion, in a bipartisan yeah. Fashion. Right. Yeah, and yeah, but and you, you Rory, obviously, Rob, you obviously acknowledge and and are aware uh, how great the economy is doing right now. I mean, last month, uh, the, the the economists and experts, uh, I think they predicted like 170,000 um, jobs were going to be created, but there were 304,000. I mean, every month we're just beating expectations by. By a lot. I mean, we're we're these economists are so far off um, in certain situations, and the way the stock market, we've had nothing but record. I mean, we've had a lot of record-breaking days. Obviously, we've had some down days. I mean, that's normal in any situation. But if you look at the whole balance all around, lowest Black unemployment, lowest Hispanic unemployment, lowest Asian unemployment in history, and you got the lowest female unemployment, I think in over 50 years, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, your thoughts on that? So we have to be careful, right? I mean, it's true that the economy is doing well right now. The unemployment rate is, is under 4%, and that's, that's a wonderful thing. But we also have a $21 trillion debt, and part of the reason the economy is doing well is because of this gigantic tax cut a couple of years ago that, you know, it's not like you can borrow money forever. It's, it's basically like you run up – you charge your credit card over and over. You run up a huge credit card bill. You feel rich. You got a lot of stuff, but eventually you're going to have to pay that credit card bill. And again, it's, it's, not, it's not the baby boomers that are going to pay it. It's, it's the people that are under the age of 40 right now who are going to have to somehow pay for all of this, not only – the Medicare and Social Security for all the baby boomers that are about to retire, but also the interest on the debt. The interest on the debt is already the fifth biggest thing in our federal budget. And so it's nice that the economy is doing well, but I worry that it's not sustainable, right? The, eventually, this debt is going to be – we can't cut taxes forever, right? And yeah. so we learned that the hard way in 2008, right? Right before the 2008 financial crisis, um, everything right. was going great. Bush was out there touting, you know, look, home ownership is up and – the stock market is up and unemployment is low, and then all of those uh, those chickens came home to roost. So it's it's very it's very important, you know. Uh, yes, it's great that unemployment is low, but let's let's be sure we look at the full would, picture. Hey, well, I will, Gianni. I'm going to let you respond, but I will say real quick to to Rob that Rob, I think I think comparing Bush to Trump, I think it's like apples and oranges. I mean, Bush had some of the <laughs> A lot, he had a lot of rhinos, a lot of globalist 
working around in Bush. And Trump has a lot more people that seem to be pro-America. Obviously, I know the deficit is a concern for many people, um, but but at the same time, it, 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 it must it's hard. It's hard being, uh, you know, Trump. And I can only imagine, uh, you know, what he has to deal with. Um, and I know he wants to get that down, and I, I, I know they have a plan to do it. Uh, it's just a matter of when, you know, it's uh, it's it's going to happen. I uh, but Johnny, go ahead. Yeah, you know, and here's he brought up a great point. I mean, I mean, we can't run from it. Republicans can't run from it. I mean, yeah. I'm all I have a libertarian part of me also. And if you look in the 1920s when we had the Roaring Twenties, we had the 30s, the Great Depression. So it's like every time the economy happens to be good in the decade, yeah. it's like all of a right. sudden it just drops. And it's like, right. what is going on? And I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, you know, Trump said America would never be a socialist country. But then I started thinking, and I'm studying, and I, I agree with that. It shouldn't be. But, like, well, hold on. We got socialist programs right now. You know, we have Medicare. We got Medicaid. We got universal K-12 public education. We got the bank bailouts. We got the uh, the paid family leave. We got the farm bill. We got the foreign aid. And then we got, uh, to Rob's point, we got the wall, which is coming out of taxpayer money. And it's like, well, I think, me, pers- me personally, <clears throat> I think that with all that stuff that we have that we're actually paying for with our tax money, that's why libertarians say taxation is theft. And we shouldn't be taxing anything. I believe in privatizing everything. I believe we should privatize health care. We should privatize uh, uh, public education. I believe we should privatize a lot of things and maybe give help when it's needed. But I feel like what, what's going on, what Rob said is right on. It's like what's going to happen in you know, years after Trump is gone and the baby boomers right. are gone and the load is going to be left on us, so what are we going to do about it? And we got a lot of social programs in America yeah. that Trump has signed also, so we can't be hypocrites yeah. at that. You know, at the same time, like I said, I'm glad the economy is doing good, and it is doing right. great, and I'm happy about that. But what are we going to do when that bill comes back to bite us in the ass? You know. And, and speaking of the economy, what, I read a report today, which I was kind of surprised about. Um, blue-collar jobs are growing way quicker in wages than white-collar jobs. There are more people now without a college degree that um, are getting jobs quicker than people with college degrees. I mean, I – you know, the, the way the economy is transforming and you got all these special uh, trade schools and you got all these different occupations that are, is evolved with, with uh, technology and all that good stuff. Uh, Josh, go ahead. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't, I actually wouldn't have been surprised by that statistic. And cause here's why the trade school type deals, there's a lot of spots that need filled and not a lot of people that were born to fill them. Those numbers are starting to climb now. Uh, here recently as people have realized that there's money in, uh, you know, these trade-type jobs. But for a long time, um, you know, uh, the last 50 years or so, they weren't being pushed as good options for jobs. And now that they are again, there's there's a, you know, there, there's a boost now of it. But before, there weren't people right. filling these jobs. And, you know, so the prices for them continue to go up. It's a simple supply and demand. Right issue um so but i mean it's it it sets up a great opportunity for blue collar workers absolutely and i I do want to welcome to the show uh, economist entrepreneur motivational speaker writer for town hall writer for newsmax live zet and a professor of finance 
at Stockton University in New Jersey. Dr. Michael Bussler, how are you? Hi, Rory. How you doing? You know, I've been listening for about the last 10 minutes, and there's a whole lot of things that I'd like to comment on. But let, let me just say one thing uh, to ease everybody's fears a little bit. Um, the public debt uh, now is approaching $21 trillion, and that's true. Um, and it does eat up a big chunk of government spending, about 15% currently of the government budget goes uh, to pay just the interest on that debt, and that's at fairly low interest rates. Now that the interest rates are, are rising, uh, that interest payment will be even larger. So it's certainly something that's a concern for us, and we, we will have to address it. But uh, just to keep things in perspective, we, we've had debts um, of this size before relative to our income. In other words, um, the public debt is about $21 trillion. GDP, which measures all the income we earn in a year, uh, is about $20 trillion. So, so the debt is slightly more than G, an annual GDP. Uh, after World War II, and I know that was a very unusual circumstance, but after World War II, uh, the debt was one and a half times annual GDP, and we, we worked it out. Uh, so th this is a, a huge debt and has a lot of problems, but it is something that we can work out. That's one point. We do, the other we do, point I want to make, and let me just. Oh yeah, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Real, real quick, one other point here because I'm very passionate about it. Um, the tax cut did not add one penny to the deficit. Let me repeat that. The tax cut did not add one to the deficit. <clears throat> Uh, the tax cut went into effect in 2018. Total tax revenue in 2018 <clears throat> was greater than it was in 2017. We lowered the tax rates. Economic activity picked up. We took in more revenue at the lower rate than we did in 2017. The increase in the deficit is just a spending problem. It's not a tax cut problem. Okay, go to your break. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to go one minute commercial and then we're coming back with everybody on the panel. We'll be right back. Is video a part of your strategy for 2019? Hi, I'm Rob Hicks with Hicks Video, your remote video production specialist. Using equipment you already own, I help you deliver high value videos to your audience. From interviews and demonstrations to online meetings and trainings, I work with you to shape your stories and subjects that demonstrate your subject matter expertise. If you're a product specialist, sales executive, or business owner, we make video production simple and affordable. We do this so that you can make videos on a regular basis, whether it's daily, weekly, or monthly, to communicate about the topics and discussions that are important to you, your audience, and your business. To make your videos, we use HD video conferencing that allows you and your guests to connect to our studio from your home or office using your laptop, phone, or tablet. Once you and your guests have connected to our studio, we do all the rest. We take care of the TV graphics, the intro videos, the outro videos, the music, the behind-the-scenes production. Everything that it takes to either live stream or locally record your video for post-production editing to social media, whether it's YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, you name it. If you're tired of seeing the empty balloon commercials that are being made by your competition's social media experts, give me a call. I work directly with you, the subject matter expert to help shape your story and ideas in a professional and polished manner via video. If you're ready to take a deep dive on your expertise and showcase the essence of your business via video, give me a call or connect with me online. I'm Rob Hicks with Hicks Video, the remote video production specialist, the doer's resource for online video production. All righty, we are back. 
thank you all for listening to the Rory Sauter Show. Uh, before we went to the break, Dr. Bussler made a great point. Yes. I want to <laughs> let Valerie respond, and then I want to go to Rob. So I agree with the idea that um, we have to pay our bills. Um, but I just think that the wall is not the place to do it because number one in um, the number one thing we have to do in our country is keep our, our citizens safe. And if we can't do that, then the rest of it doesn't even matter. Um, and I'd love to hear, I think it was Rob who was saying he didn't believe I, I, something that you did not agree that the wall yeah. should be built or yeah. something to that effect, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. Um, before before Rob explaining. explains that, I want to I wanna ask Gianni or Josh, do you have any thoughts? Josh, Gianni. You can go ahead, John, if you'd like. Okay, yeah, I, I'll just, I was just, um, you know, tagging on to kind of what I, you know, what I said earlier about I think some things we need to privatize, you know, and I think if we privatize some things, this debt will definitely uh, go down, you know, and I believe we need more private education. I believe that's going to, you know, save from all that we spend on K-12 education, which is public, which is funded by the government. Um, you know, we fund police officers and law enforcement, and we fund all these agents, and I believe that the more we head to privatizing things, the more we will see the debt go down, and I, that's one thing that I wish Trump would have uh, Good mentioned yesterday in the State of the Union is, listen, <laughs> look at this debt we're in. Like, <clears throat> what are we going to do when, in, like, in five years, six, seven, eight years, ten years, when it comes down the road, and we're like, okay, we're we're stuck in a rock and a, by a rock in a hard place, and it's like, what are we going to do about it? And I would have been more comfortable uh, with the answer, I think, if he would have mentioned it, you know, in that uh, big platform that he had. Yeah. Uh, Josh and then Rob. Yeah, you, you know, just to touch on the the economy questions, you know, Rob brought up a, a good point about uh, how, you know, right now we're okay with this debt, but realistically, if, if it gets to the point of explosion, I mean, it's going to be, you know, the younger generation, a.k.a. me, I'm 20 years old, I'll be in peak peak time to be paying for that with my taxes so um you know the in my in my opinion with the amount that we are gobbling up debt it makes it very difficult for us to not get to a point in my opinion where there isn't some sort of drastic um change to get rid of the debt somehow um i just i Maybe I don't know enough, but I don't see how we can keep continuing to eat uh, eat this debt uh, like we are and not not implode in some way. Go ahead, Robert. Okay, so I, I would like to respond to a couple things to, that the economist said. So first thing uh, he said was, you know, we had this big of a debt after World War II and it worked out. Now that's true, but he also did. Uh, point out that that was a very special time. At that time, yes. Europe was completely destroyed, and so we were essentially yep. the only industrial power left on Earth. Also, every country in the world owed us money because we had lent them money to fund their gigantic wars. And so we also did not yep. have an enormous elderly population to to support. In fact, we had the opposite. We had a lot of young people 
to to work in the factories and, and grow the economy. So that was a very special yep. time in American history, and Americans often overemphasize how how you know they think it was just because of how great we were that we had a good ha- second half of the last century. In fact, it was because of a lot of very unique circumstances. The other thing I want to say is when we say the deficit, he said the deficit, the tax cut did not add to the debt. I just pulled, I was very convenient that we had that commercial, but I just pulled the numbers up. The deficit increased by $113 billion, which is what I remembered, about a trillion dollars over yep. 10 years. Now, you can say that's a spending problem because we spend too much money, but the fact is we did cut taxes without offsetting it with a cut in spending. And then there's all the other Yeah, but we took, in, we took in more tax revenue. Yeah, we took in more tax revenue in 2018 than we did in 2017. More, at lower rates, we had more economic activity. We had more income to tax. Total income tax revenue increased, not by much, but it increased in 2018 over 2017. So the tax cut did not cause anything in the deficit. The whole $113 billion is due to increases in spending. Um, and it's very difficult to cut the the spending, but I believe the next thing Trump is going to work on after he gets a few of these big problems resolved is he's going to start to get government spending down. And it's a very difficult thing to do because more than half the spending uh, goes to these social programs, uh, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and politically it's nearly impossible to touch those. So that leaves the other half of the budget. You have the interest expense. Uh, which takes up a big chunk of it, the military spending, which takes up a very big chunk of it. And there's not a whole lot of stuff left to cut there. So it's a very difficult thing. I agree with what everybody uh, said. I think we should try to balance the budget every year, get rid of this deficit issue and try to work this public debt down, you know, because the real danger is we don't have any mechanism to ever pay this debt back. We, we, we finance the debt by selling 20 year bonds. When the bonds come due, we can't pay them, so we sell new bonds to pay off the old bonds, and we roll over the debt. Uh, and Josh has the most to worry about because, yes, he's right. All of this and the Social Security and Medicare problem, in addition, are all going to fall on Josh's generation. Um, so these are all very serious problems. I agree with everybody completely that uh, they, they have to be uh, resolved. Uh, Josh, I'll let you respond. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree uh, with what Dr. Butler just said, and it, you know, it's I'm, the, you know, the future is going to tell what exactly, to what extent that's going to, um, you know, push onto my generation. Right now, it's all just speculation, but the speculation doesn't look good. Um, and the the most difficult part about it is. The government even 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 now shows no real interest in wanting to cut spending, and cutting spending is the real way that you can slow the situation down. Um, right. And most likely, though, spending will never be cut because one, people like things that the government gives them, so the, you know it's not popular yep. to cut spending with the voters. And on top of that. You know the social security. If you if you start pulling that, that'll that'll I you know enrage the voters even more. But in all honesty, I would rather get the heck get rid of social security and still have a country that and you know quote unquote miss out on what I'm quote unquote owed than um, get to a place where the whole system implodes like we it almost has to. 
I mean, the numbers don't lie. It's got something's got to break eventually. I'd rather get to a point where we try to stop it with with supposed, you know, uh, things that I'm owed by get, getting rid of that instead of letting it explode and dealing with it that way. Bravo. Go, Rob, you want to respond? Well, no, just, I mean, just to say, Social Security and Medicare don't look good. You know, they were invented when the life expectancy was 65. Today, the life expectancy is 80, and most people live into their 90s. And so, or many people do at least, and it's just, it, we literally can't pay for it. And, and, you know, Paul Ryan had the courage to talk about this, but very few other uh, political leaders in either party, including President Trump, President Trump said, I'm going to protect Social Security and Medicare, and I'm not going to change anything to it. And they are the two biggest parts of our federal budget. And it's, it's dishonest. And it's, and, uh, and it's really – we're putting a burden – not just people that are 20, people that are 30 and 40 are also the ones that are going to hold this yeah. back. So you, so you, Rob. Let me get this straight. If I, and I don't want to uh, put words into your mouth, but you think you don't think Trump is going to protect it well enough? No, I think he said he said he's not going to change it at all. The only way to reform Medicare and Social Security so they don't so they don't completely bankrupt the country is to somehow raise the retirement age. I mean, or, or somehow reduce benefits. Either either yeah. you, you raise either you raise Social Security taxes on young people, you pay lower benefits to old people, or you raise the age at which they're eligible for it. And he said he would do none of those things. And so I you know otherwise the only other option is to default on the debt. Which is something he's done in the past six times, and um, and it would be really, I mean, to the point is that's dishonest, and and we we as a country have to confront this, or else um, somebody is going to pay a very heavy price. Doctor Busser, go ahead. Yeah, you know, um, all that's true. Uh, uh, the Social Security, and, and Rob hit the nail right on the head, uh, there are only a couple of choices. None of them are desirable. I think the uh, least undesirable of the, the three um, is to raise the retirement age. And Rob brought up a, a good point. When uh, Social Security was introduced in the mid-30s, People uh, retired at 65, and the life expectancy was 67, so you only collected for a couple of years. Um, Today, the retirement age is 66, 67-ish, but you're right. People are uh, living well into their 80s, into their 90s, and now you have people living even over 100. Uh, There's no way the Social Security system can possibly be be solvent. Um, So the only solution is the retirement age is going to have to be raised both on Medicare and Social Security and probably fairly significantly, uh, at least to 70 and probably in the 75-ish range. Um, I think uh, economically that's the only way the system can stay afloat. You can't raise this, I don't believe, the Social Security tax anymore. It's it, it, it's 6.2% you pay, but your employer pays 6.2% for you. So it's really 12.4% uh, tax right. on every dollar of wages up to the maximum. Um, and you just can't tax. That's all middle-class people. And you just can't tax them uh, anymore. Um, cutting benefits is going to be extremely difficult too. So I think the least undesirable is uh, getting the retirement age up significantly. Do you now, when, when do you predict this will 
happen? I mean, uh, you know, how soon? I mean, do you do you think that they'll raise the retirement age within the next ten years? Well, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, so the retirement age was sixty-five. Uh, they had a commission back. Uh, Michael Boskin from St- Stanford ran a commission, and they said you're going to have to raise it up to sixty-seven. Uh, so they started doing that gradually. I think now the current retirement age is uh, in the mid-66 range. It might even be 67 by now. Uh, so, um, and under the current system, the numbers say, um, uh, well, the system can stay afloat until the year 2029, so about 10, 10 more years. So sometime within that time period, uh, we're going to have to address the problem and if we're going to raise the retirement age, which I believe is the only viable option, um, so that you don't upset everybody, it's going to have to be taken up gradually. Uh, so it may take a while to get up to that 75-ish, if that's how high we have to get. Um, the other thing is that's going to upset a whole lot of people. A whole lot of people don't want to wait till they're 75. So uh, I, I don't know how you get out of this one. <laughs> I, and, you know, it, it it blows my mind in certain ways, um, you know some of the, some of the things and that have been, that have happened in the past and decisions that have been made by some of our past leaders and, and some of you know uh, it's just you know when, when whenever a president takes over and you know I we heard Trump say this when when he took office I mean he had to clean up a huge huge mess i mean he just got yeah. he just took over you know a job that uh was previously held by the worst president in history obama i mean there's no doubt about it jimmy carter was the worst but then obama made jimmy carter look like a saint um and but, George Bush. <laughs> but uh, i i don't you know why it's debatable but um let let me let me let me get let me do this i want to I'm going to introduce our next guest shortly onto the panel, but I want to go to Rob real quick. And Rob, you were talking earlier into the show, and I and I knew I I was going to get right back to you regarding the wall. You're against the wall. You're you're mostly conservative. I mean, you say you're in the middle, but you lean more right. But for for some reason, you're you're not for the wall. Why? All right. So very briefly, I mean, we just discussed how. We got a trillion-dollar issue with Social Security and Medicare, and we're distracted by this really silly debate over a $5 billion wall. So listen, I, what I, this, is, this gets back to the original point I made about John McCain, right? The wall is very much a – was a campaign slogan. It, he, the president promised that another country would pay for it, and, um, and, and yet that – and now that's not going to happen. So that's one, that's one issue I have with it, but that's, that's, that's a smaller issue. The bigger wait, issue wait is real quick. Wait, real, let me correct you. Let me correct you. That nobody ever said, though, that Trump was going to get a check indirectly from Mexico. The way he's getting them to pay for it is through the NAFTA revision, and if you, if we, if you look at the numbers, the wall pays for itself by, by far. Uh, but go ahead. Sorry. All right. Well, just because he says that doesn't make it true. But be that. Well, as no, no. If you look at it, issue. if you look at it, you got to read the plan. Uh, Economist, uh, Dr. Bussler, can you confirm that? Can you uh, say that it's true? Well, I mean, well, that is in the plan. <laughs> you, you know, um, things like this, it's uh, sometimes a question of how you look at it. Um, it, it Mexico is not going to directly pay for it. That's true. Never. Uh, Trump yeah, never. says. 
I mean, Mexico, yeah. So Trump says, but I renegotiated the, the trade deal, and as a result of that, it's more favorable to the U.S., and Mexico is paying essentially us more for in the, the trade area. Uh, it, it's really, a, you know, look, I'm a strong Trump supporter, as you know. Uh, that's a little bit of a stretch. Um, the other yeah. way he might be able to do it is, if uh, the Mexican economy picks up and they need less foreign aid from us, um, I think we give them, uh, I don't know, a couple hundred million, uh, billion, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure how much we but give them, the but uh, you what might be able to cut some of that. With, what about the trade deficit with Mexico? $70 billion. Well, the, I mean, doesn't this all factor yeah, the, the, the Yeah, the, the uh, trade deficit with Mexico uh, will improve now. Uh, it won't be nearly as negative and may even come out to be slightly positive depending on how some of these things go. Um, uh, and that's good, good for us. Um, it's not, you know, again, I'm a Trump supporter, but that's still not exactly having Mexico pay for the, the wall. Uh, so he might have some other way to do it. And, uh, he is getting some of the payment through these trade deals, but, um, he, he wasn't able to quietly uh, to quite fulfill that uh, campaign pledge. Yeah, Rory. I mean, I, we, you know, I definitely go ahead, Gianni. Yeah, I definitely would agree with what he just said. You know, like I honestly, you know, like, like, just like I, I'm a big Trump supporter. Everyone knows that, you know, but I feel like when he was campaigning, he was kind of ignorant when it comes to certain things in the government. You know, he, you know, he would say, Oh, we're going to do this. It's going to be easy. It's going to be very fast. Uh, we're going to do this. We're going to do it very quickly. You know, like, I believe he was saying a lot of stuff, you know, out of just the energy of that time, like Mexico is going to pay for it. Well, obviously, you know, you could say to do it through trade. Yeah. But that's not like what everyone obviously was thinking about when he said Mexico was going to pay for it. And I feel like yeah. he just was very ignorant of that uh, regard. You know, I, presidents make mistakes. They're not, you know, perfect. They're not God. You know, I just think that he has to. Yeah. I, if I were him, I would come back and say and say I was a little ignorant on Mexico paying for the wall, and you know that's just the that's just the point. I mean, you just gotta right your wrongs. Yeah, but well, but if I may, yeah, you know, you're you're absolutely you're, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, let, let's get Valerie's thoughts, and then I'm gonna go back to Rob on the wall thing. But Valerie, go ahead. I don't know. I think. When the president said Mexico was going to pay, he was talking about tariffs. And if he's going to raise the tariffs and they want to do business with us, then that's the money that I thought he was talking about. Um, you know, we don't know. I don't know. But I think that there are ways that he can, um, you know, with with jobs, with bringing companies back into the United States that left over, you know, the last couple of administrations, I think he's brought in billions of dollars that we didn't have before just based on making these changes. Um, And what was the other issue that we were just talking about besides um, the wall and the the money? Um, Social Security? Social Security? um, Well, yeah, I mean, it might not be around. And I I don't know that anybody expects it. I mean, I think I've been hearing that it's not going to be around when I need it. For my whole entire life, <laughs> so I don't expect it. Um, I mean, yeah. I think that it, you know, it, it, I agree politically. It's a it's a disaster. You you can't take it, get rid of it. But yeah. I think that there are ways to get around these things. Um, 
politically if he if he has to. Right, um, Rob. Let's go back to you. Um, but yeah, please. I, I'd love to hear you know why why you don't uh, agree with the wall. I if if I'm, if, I'm not, if I can say real quick though, I it bothers me how taxpayer dollars are wasted on so much useless and stuff that doesn't even matter, uh, just total crap. And, you know, we want a wall for, you know, $5 billion, but everybody makes a fuss about it on the left. But you look at all the research and all the money they've wasted, and it's just sickening. And it's just the biggest definition of hypocrisy. And even people on the right have wasted money. I'm not saying they haven't, but, uh, you know, it's, just, it's a whole issue in Washington. But go ahead, go ahead Rob. So my bigger issue with the wall is it won't solve the problem. Everybody wants to solve the problem of illegal immigration and our drug problem, right? And so the pro- here's the problem with the wall is whenever you have demand, supply will find a way to get there, and there's a really easy way to do it, and they're tunnels. You can build the biggest, nicest, most beautiful wall you want. I'm from San Diego. Let me tell you, you should – I don't know if you guys have seen them. Those tunnels – we have a wall in San Diego between San Diego and Tijuana. Um, the tunnels that the drug cartels dug underneath are so sophisticated and so, quite frankly, impressive. I mean, they had conveyor belts down there, and so you know they've got all sorts of mechanisms for for getting drugs and people through besides the wall. And I want to solve the problem, but the, again, the problem is you know somebody called Trump's campaigning a little bit ignorant. He was he definitely has a tendency to exaggerate. Let's let's all agree with that, right? And so he's just yeah. saying well, the wall is going to solve the problem. Just like healthcare is going to be the easiest thing in the world. You have the best healthcare for cheaper. I mean, this is what he's done his whole life. He's an exaggerator. It markets well. But the thing is, when it actually comes down to policy, like ultimately things actually have to work. And so the solution to illegal immigration um, is not a wall is not going to solve everything. Now, can you can you invest in border security? Absolutely. Is there a place where a physical barrier is helpful for that? Yes, but there's also other places where that doesn't make any sense, and, and there are other things you have to do on top of it. And so I think the wall is an overly simplistic argument that also completely distracts us from these huge issues like the fact that we're about to abandon, abandon the Kurds. Our best secretary of defense just resigned because he's upset about it. We have a trillion-dollar crisis over Social Security, a trillion-dollar crisis over Medicare, a $21 trillion national debt, trade wars, and that's just like as much as I can get out in one breath. And so I'm really annoyed that the you, wall is distracting us from all this. Yeah, I would add. Rob, I would, can, uh, real, Gianni, oh, man. Real quick, can I get I in here, in, Rob? I want to add in um, something. Go ahead. I, I, I mean, nobody said it was easy to be president. We have problems. But <laughs> we are the best and most fortunate country in the world, and we're free. Um, I think the wall is the start. I don't think he said the wall would be the end-all, be-all of, of security, but it's certainly a very important start. And if you look at Israel, you especially look at um, you know any of the walls in Israel, they're 99.9% effective. Agreed with you that there are tunnels underneath, and what happens is they come up eventually from those tunnels, and that's where we have to stop them. And that's where Israel stops them. So, um, you know, you can, you can see the walls under the, the tunnels underneath and you, you watch them so that they can put all their resources into it. And then when they finally come up, that's when you catch them. Um, and they fill the, the tunnels with cement um, or they bomb them, whatever, you know, happens to be the right thing, depending on if you're in the middle of a neighborhood or somebody's kitchen when it comes, when they come up. 
Um, so I agree with you that there are a lot of other things that need to be done in regard with the border security, but I think the wall is the first step, and I think it's something that we, we must have. We must so have. I'd love, I'd love to respond to that very, very briefly if I, if I could. Go ahead. No, go, go ahead. So it's a great point. Israel's walls work. I completely agree. The difference is Israel is a very tiny country, smaller than New Jersey. The southern border is 2,000 miles, and also Israel, a lot of their money to build those things comes from foreign aid from the United States because they can't afford it themselves. And so you know, it's, it's a special case that doesn't necessarily apply to our 2,000-mile border. So what, I disagree what? because it's a small country, yes, but we also have a lot more people here that we can be that, – that can um, put money tax-wise into, into building it, and – because it works for a small place does not mean it doesn't work for a big place. It just means we have to put more effort and more money into it. Um, Rob, I want to, Rob, I want to ask you this yeah. though. When, when you see, when you see all of the camera footage and all of, you know, the videos of these people hopping over the walls uh, or hopping over, well, not not the wall. Well, it's not it's not an actual wall bill, but it's like a tiny little fence. But you see these people hopping over them. And, and invading our country constantly. Um, I mean, we're t- we're talking about big walls that Trump wants to put in. Right now, they're little mini walls. But you don't you don't see the huge problem. Obviously, these people are, are coming across a lot of them in, in plain sight. But obviously, I agree with you. There are tunnels. We know that. Uh, your thoughts? I'm all for border security, but I want to do it the right way, not the way that fulfills a campaign promise. Elaborate. Yeah, go ahead. A go wall ahead, is. I'm, uh, go ahead. Oh, oh Rob, yeah, keep so going. Keep going. Sorry. I, I was just going to say a physical barrier. Yes. If if there's a place where they're just hopping over a two foot fence, sure, it makes sense to have a physical barrier there. But um, then you're going to have a problem with time. And again, the real problem is the demand, right? Because there, there, the, there's no one. If, if there, the basic economics is, if there is a demand that will make somebody a lot of money, they'll find a way to supply it. You build a wall, they'll come up with a speedboat innovation where they speedboat across the Gulf of Mexico. That's what they used to do in the 70s until the Coast Guard cracked down on it, which is why they moved into Mexico. You crack down on this, they're going to get really sophisticated tunnels. I mean, we have this gigantic demand problem, and until we solve that problem, this is going to be an issue. And so, uh, so yes, a physical barrier is fine in various places, but to, to, to put it up there like it's going to solve the problem. And, that, and you, you have to be honest. Trump never says – you've never heard him say, oh, and after the wall, we'll have to do lots of other things. No, he just, he just beats this drum as if it's the simple solution to everything, and we, we, don't, we cannot afford fake simple solutions. Right. Johnny, I'll let you respond, buddy, and then I'm going to introduce our next guest, but I'm keeping everybody on. Go ahead, Johnny. Yeah, so, you know, I, 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 I totally agree with everything, you know, he just said, you know, even though I am for the wall, but I feel like Trump needs those Republicans that, you know, we often call rhinos or whatever. He needs those Republicans, establishment Republicans that's been there for years and years that have this knowledge of politics. Is like, hey, some of this stuff just can't happen, and I believe that they are talking to Trump because you can see last year, to be honest, Trump did say it was going to be a concrete wall. He did say that. I mean, there's videos of that, you know, but now he's changing and he's saying, look, it's going to be a steel wall. And 
in the speech and in some of his other speeches that he made on camera, he even says, we're not going to have it all across the border. It's going to be in the places that the, um, you know, the border agents say there need to be. And I was watching a documentary that Tommy Lauren did for, uh, not, not too, a few weeks ago where she went to the, to the uh, border and she was asking the border agents, and this is on Fox Nation I watch a lot, and she says, yeah. and the border agent says, listen, it'll be a waste of time and waste of money to just build, build walls where there's no need. He was like, we need to go. When he, I am with Trump with the wall that we need to build. If we see a lot of trafficking and things going through that part of the uh, the border, that's where we put the walls at. And I agree with that. I don't think we need a big, big wall all throughout the southern border if nothing's going through there because that's a waste of time and a waste of money. So I would agree with him. And, you know, Trump has to talk about things like, you know, overstaying visas and you know, things. All this stuff goes into border security. It's not just the wall is not going to solve everything. It will solve, I believe, half of it. But most, some of it, most of it is honestly, most is not just crossing over the border. It's overstaying their visas, and we need to focus on that. Also, and I hear what you're saying, and and I, you know, I don't think anybody, you know, with with a sane and logical state of mind, ever thought the wall was going to solve the problem 100. percent I. I just think, you know, people are under the impression and, and get, uh, you know, and, and, I, and I, I believe it. And I, I think many people believe that it's a great start. I mean, it's not, it's not, the, uh, it's not 100% going to stop what's going on, but it's a start. Um, let me go to a 30-second break, and then I'm going to introduce our next guest. Be right back. Hello, everybody. This is Rory Sodder from the Rory Sodder Show. Are you an aspiring entrepreneur? Do you have an app idea? Do you want to save money? Well, I got great news for you. My company, GetYourAppBuilt.com, charges a fraction of the cost compared to anywhere else. And all of our work is the same amount of professionalism you'd see from any other company. Uh, Please visit our website, GetYourAppBuilt.com, for your free consultation and contact us today. Thank you. All right, we are back. I do want to introduce our next guest um, doctor, award-winning speaker, veteran, technology expert, best-selling author, and Arizona's superintendent of public instruction, Bob Branch. How are you, sir? I'm fantastic. How are you all tonight? I'm uh, doing oh, very well. Well, it's really good, really good to have you here, Bob. Uh, I'm sure you've been listening in the on the conversation. I love the debate that's going on. Sure, I love <laughs> What are your debate. thoughts? Chime in. Oh, man, you got too much to chime in on. I'll tell you what, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, we're, we're spending a lot of time exactly the way the Democrats want us to spend it, and that's talking about a wall. Uh, you know, the the question is, and I, I, I love your econo- uh, economist there that was talking about supply and demand. Uh, the beautiful part is what side of the border now is the caravan on? With Obama... And other presidents, it would have been on our side. Just every single day, thousands of people waiting to get into this country legally is saving us money, is paying for the wall. So, you know, I, I appreciate what everybody's saying, but as your one guest said, we got trillion dollar issues, and we're talking about, you know, five billion dollar issue. The question is, last night you seen on the State of Union address, you seen the Democrats sitting on their hands when they're talking about socialism. Do you want that? I mean, that's the question. Do you want capitalism or socialism? 
And to me, us arguing over a wall, I've lived in Arizona now for 25 years. You had every single governor in this state, Democrat or Republican, demanding a wall. You go down to the border right now, you have (laughs) miles and miles of border that is a single strand of barbed wire. It blocks nothing. And you just look down at the border and you just look down on the ground and you can see tracks of people where people walk migrating to and from Mexico. That happens all the time. You've got cartels on both sides of the border here, and it's just not acceptable. So whether we say that we need 300 miles of wall or 400 miles of fence, we need a barrier. Let's build a barrier. Right. And the argument uh, and that, well, it's just a campaign promise, well, imagine that, a president running for office that actually wants to fulfill campaign promises. I voted for him one of the reasons to build the wall. I'm in Arizona. I see people dying. I see opioid crisis that is so high, and it's because of that. So to me, it helps. So let's help it. And let's not argue about a wall. Let's argue about who's going to be our next president. And that's what we should be right. arguing about. That's well, I hear you. And, you know, there, there was just a report out today. Or it, it was, it was, I think it was yesterday, actually. But Congressional Research Service says that pres- the president can build a border wall without Congress. You know, a lot of people are under the impression that he needs Congress to sign off on this. But according to research, uh, he does not. Uh, he can, you know, take this into his own hands. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people already know that. But there are people that don't know, don't know that. Well, I would, I would add to that. Yeah, he could. He, constitutional right. He can. The Constitution says that whenever a president feels like there's a certain class of people that's creating a threat, he can restrict access. Yes, but if we were to do the national emergency, we're going to have to fight it in court. It's going to go straight to the appeal court, which we know is very liberal, yeah. and that can risk Trump losing that, and there would be no point of going after it again. You know, and then we could turn it could turn on us, and then the Democrats, if they were to get an offer for something, they can use a national emergency. So you know, it's like I, I would love to do that, but it's like a rock and a hard place for me, man. It's like I want the wall to be built in certain places that is needed, you know. But how are we going to do that, you know? And if he can't do it through Congress, he's going to do a national emergency. Then it's going to go to the courts, and we know we probably ninety nine point nine percent are going to lose that in a liberal court. How do you respond, Dr. Bussler? Well, um, if there's money that has been appropriated to be spent on something and Trump can shift it from wherever it was appropriated into something else, uh, he can get some money to build a wall. I don't think he can get $5 billion shuffling around like that, but he certainly can get some. Um, then the question is, uh, should he declare a state of emergency? Um, he certainly has a right to do that, just as if there was a flood or a hurricane, he could call a state of emergency, and he has a right to do that. Um, yep. Now, you're right, the Democrats will take that to court. It will probably go to that Ninth, ninth Circuit Court uh, in California, who always rules against Trump, um, and then it will go to an appellate court and then to the Supreme Court, and that, that could take time. Um, Trump would probably request, if it got that far, uh, would request that they review it uh, very quickly and decide on it because, uh, you know, it is something that is a national 
emergency. Trump's also right. The best way to resolve this is to have Congress come up with a a bill that everybody can live with. Uh, Trump has offered to negotiate. Uh, He's offered uh, to to change his stance. Uh, It doesn't have to be uh, uh, $5.7 billion all for a wall. Uh, he wants to secure the border. If you want to make a build a steel barrier instead of a wall, that's fine with him. But he wants to uh, secure it, and uh, it would be best done if Congress passed the the law. He signed it into law, and then everything's nice and clean. Uh, now, whether they can do that, I I sort of thought today Nancy Pelosi was uh, starting to move a little bit. Um, so. Um, it's it's hard to be optimistic that they'll come up with an agreement since they seem to be so far apart and so rigid in their positions. Um, but uh, maybe they'll be able to come up with something and uh, maybe we get this resolved and we won't have to go to the state of emergency route. No, I, I hear you. I hear you. Uh, Dr. Branch, what, are your, what is your response? Well, I, I agree with your economist, uh, Nancy Pelosi, again, you know, uh, speaking to the economist as well. The reason why she's changing her mind is 82% of the people that were independents last night, uh, what Trump said resonated with them. Um, yes, absolutely her right. Own party is, yeah, that's right. Her own party is sitting on their hands when they're saying, we will not do socialism. And right now she's scrambling. I mean, period. Uh, yeah. They are a party in disarray. So, you know, I, I believe that there's, uh, you know, I, I believe that within, by the 15th, we will have a deal. Uh, what that deal will look like, you know, will, it, it will remain to be seen. But there will be some money for, uh, I'm, I'm sure she's not going to call it a wall. It will be called a barrier, a fence, or something else. <laughs> Uh, but that's just political fodder. That's all this is right now. All this is is to make sure that Trump does not get a win. That's what she's trying to do. But last night he hit a home run, and Pelosi is in disarray right now. And, and Dr. Branch, you bring up a good point here. You bring up a point that I wanted to kind of address. I have been saying for the last couple weeks, ever since Trump said – he was going to give them another few weeks to try to work out a deal in Congress for border wall funding. And you seem to think that they're going to come up with a deal by next week. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I really, you know, I saw what the Democrats did the first time and then Trump, I was surprised, didn't, you know, take matters into his own hands. Instead he said, I'm going to give them till February 15th. I'm going to give them another chance. But I, I really think they're going to try and dick around with him again and call his bluff. I think they're going to keep toying with him. And I, when Trump takes the mic back on February 15th and there's no deal made, he's not, he, he's not going to cave. He, he's given them plenty of chances and plenty of time. Uh, Trump is going to take matters into his own hands. There's no doubt. But now the otherwise people are on his side. Go ahead. Sure. Yeah. That's right. But now the people are on his side, and you have yeah. you have seen it in the polls. The people now yeah. are not on the Democrat side. They are on Trump's side, the conservative side, on border security. He laid out the reason why. That has yeah. to make the Democrats come to the table. It has to. Right. You know, if not, this is going to be right. one of the easiest elections we ever seen. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, and, yeah, and, and I, you know why many – I believe he did this for a couple of reasons. Number one, to expose the Democrats and to prove that they're incompetent and they can't make, make any sort of deal. And number two, I feel like he wants them to get along. I feel like he wants them to, you know, make something happen. But, you know, it, it, I go back and forth on why Trump gave them another few weeks because if next week comes, comes around and there's no deal, I mean, what a waste. Well, you, you know, Rory, I think why he, he did it um, is he, he wanted to show uh, a spirit of compromise, and he's willing to uh, give in if we we can get a deal. Remember, the, the shutdown had lasted 35 days, and Trump was starting to take the, the heat for it. Pelosi said to him, listen, I don't want to negotiate with this. You start uh, open the government back up, and I'll negotiate with you, is what, what she said to her, to, to him. So he said, okay, and he opened the government up. He said, okay, I'll give you three weeks to negotiate just like you said you were going to do, so let's come up with an agreement in these three weeks. Yeah. Um, Rob, go ahead. Was that Rob talking or was that Gianni? That was me. Go ahead. Yeah, so I got a question for everybody. All right, so let's say we get here to the end of the time that, you know, Trump, you know, I think it was 11, 10 days, you know, and there is no deal. The Democrats made no deal with the wall, made no deal with okay, uh, okay. good border security, anything. We get there, and Trump doesn't declare a national emergency, and he actually still shuts down the government and makes up an excuse. Like, I'm telling you, that's going to go – here's the two ways. When it comes to the wall – if he doesn't build the wall by 2020, that's definitely going to hit his base real hard because it's going to be like, oh, he didn't build the wall. And over if he doesn't years. get it by 2020, he will not be reelected if he does not get that by 2020. Yeah, I know. Go ahead, keep going. Exactly. And on the other hand, if he shuts down the government to be to be partisan, you know, it's like, listen, that, that shutdown is going to go bad because I know a lot of people who were who were working for the government and now they started to live in their cars. Because they can't pay their bills for their houses, and it's like, well, well that that's well, so bad. And it's like, what, you're, you're getting, like what's, you like, absolutely what's, have a valid point here. And the reason I think Trump opened back up the government was because the exact reason you're describing here, because you know these government workers were going without paychecks, and they were going into month two ready to not be paid. And we saw a lot of the TSA people not taking their job seriously. We saw so many different things. And I think more than anything, the reason Trump opened back up the government was to not leave these people hostage from a paycheck. And he wanted to have these people taken care of. When he comes back to the podium next week and there's no deal made, he's not going to, he's not going to shut down the government again. He's just going to declare a state of emergency. He's not going to leave people hostage again. He's going to take matters into his own hands, and that's what I strongly believe. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Rory. I don't think there's any way Trump's going to shut the government down again. Either Congress comes up with a deal and he signs it, uh, or um, they come up with a deal that doesn't include the wall in it. He signs that anyway, so the government stays open, and then he'll build the wall one way or another, either taking funds from one thing um, and use them for the wall or – somehow get the military involved or declare that state of emergency. But uh, one way or another, he's going to get the wall built, and he's not going to shut the government down again, I don't believe. 
Dr. Brandt. But what I like about it is it changes the narrative, right? This whole thing changes yeah. the narrative. If you look at the Brett Kavanaugh hearings, remember towards the end, every single Democrat on that panel asked Kavanaugh, why don't you let us do, you know, why aren't you supporting five days having the FBI doing another investigation? It's just five days. And every single one of them did it. Jeff Flake, who no. I'm not a big fan of at all, said, okay, we'll give you your five days. They did the FBI, right. and every single Democrat came back and said, well, that's not enough time. Too bad. You asked for it. You got it. They asked, Nancy Pelosi asked for this time to come up with a deal. And the narrative has changed now. It's not on Trump. It's on Pelosi. And last night, Pelosi seen that the nation is for Trump, not for her. So she's got to come up with a deal because she's got to worry about an election cycle. So we, we'll see what happens. You know, but it changed last night. The narrative changed and the narrative yeah. changed when Trump said, OK, you got 15 days. You want to make a deal here. You make a deal. You got the not 15 days. You got three weeks. Come up with it. So it's in Pelosi's court right now, period. So yeah. we'll see what happens. Hey, Rob, I'm going to go back to you. What are your thoughts? Uh, my Robert, thoughts are, yeah, yeah, my thoughts are, let's, you know, this country's really divided right now, especially over the Im- issue of immigration. There is a compromise to be had. I think everyone knows what it looks like. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, it's got, it's got border security, it's got dreamers, it's got um, sort of a, a control of the illegal immigration system. Um, and sometimes, unfortunately, when the country's so badly divided, uh, you, you can't get to a solution that everybody knows is right. A great example is Israel and Palestine. Everybody knows what the peace agreement between those two countries is supposed to look like, but you can't get there because the two sides hate each other too much. And so similarly, that's what we're getting in this country, and I, I just – I really hope that we can, we can put the, the country's priorities over either parties uh, scoring a win or, or feeling dominant or superior over something and. It's going to take a different kind of leadership than we've seen from most of our leaders. Yeah, now, I agree. let me ask you. Let, let me ask you this, Rob, because you you know you've you've been firsthand. You you were in Iraq. You know you you've been over there. Your thoughts on, and you know all about wars and, and, and a lot of what it entails. So does Doctor Branch. He, he's a veteran as well. But you know your thoughts on Trump. Um, holding Putin accountable uh, with uh, getting out of the the nuclear treaty with Russia. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, To be honest, that one I haven't had a lot of time to look at between all these other things. So I I will refrain from commenting. Okay. Let me, let me go to Dr. Bustler. What are your thoughts? And then Dr. Branch. Well, so um, we we had a treaty with the Russians uh, signed by president Reagan that essentially ended the, uh, the, the arms race. Uh, we said, essentially, we wouldn't make rockets that could hit them, and they wouldn't make rockets that could, could hit us. Uh, and as long as we both uh, adhered to that, uh, we thought we had an agreement. Well, a couple of years ago, um, we find out that the, the Russians are not adhering to the agreement. Uh, we're sticking to it completely. They're not adhering, and they're uh, running some tests on some new uh, weapons that violate the agreement. Um, 
about six or eight months ago, I guess now, uh, they said they formally uh, said to Russia that we believe you're in violation of the agreement and you have six months. When that happens, the agreement said each side had six months to uh, cure whatever the issue was. Uh, they didn't do anything in six months, figuring there's no way the Americans are just going to pull out of this. Um, so they didn't do anything. And again, uh, Pompeo said, uh, listen, you're not in compliance. Either you get in compliance or we really don't have an agreement anymore. You've broken it. Uh, finally, they wouldn't do it. So we uh, pulled out of the agreement. And it was essentially broken anyway. I think the next step is uh, we need an agreement like this between uh, the U.S., Russia, and China, because China has gotten very uh, aggressive in their weapons programs. I think they're even building man-made islands, and uh, uh, they're doing some aggressive things that uh, that could could be an, an issue. So I think the bigger picture is Russia already broke the agreement, so let's just formally say it's broken, and uh, let's get together and see if we can come up with something better. And speaking of China, I mean, as an economist, you know, you, you study this every second of every day, you know, kind of off topic real quick, that we are winning in the trade war with China. I mean, don't you think China, like I've said many times yeah. on the show, these countries, these countries need us more than we need them. But in the long right. run, don't you think the U.S. is going to get a fair shake on a good deal, a fair deal? Yeah, I- yeah, and they're they're very close to um, a fair shake. Remember, the, the the deals we had with China were so lopsided in favor of the uh, Chinese and to the detriment of the U.S. that we had this huge negative balance of trade. In other words, uh, we were buying so much from them and not charging any tariffs and buying all these things. We couldn't sell in their market. Remember, they have over a billion people, so it's a huge market. We couldn't sell in their market because they slapped huge tariffs on our products. Like cars, we charged them a 2.5% tariff. They charged us a 25% tariff. I think on some cars, like the Corvette, it was a 50% uh, tariff. So Trump said, look, I'm fixing this. China didn't want to come to the table. So Trump said, well, I want you to – so what a business person would do, what Trump did – is uh, create a sense of urgency, uh, and he did that by putting on tariffs that are crippling the Chinese right. economy. They've been growing so rapidly uh, for at least a decade. Now, their information is not always accurate, so it's hard to tell exactly what the numbers are, but they have been growing rapidly. Now, as a result of these the trade war and them retaliating, which is really what's hurting them, them retaliating and putting – uh, tariffs on food products, so now food is more expensive for their people. Um, their economy uh, is slowed down significantly. It may even be in recession. Uh, Trump's given them till March 1st to come up with an agreement, or he's slapping some more tariffs on. I think uh, before summer and maybe even before March 1st, uh, we have an agreement with China that finally opens up the Chinese markets to uh, U.S. manufacturers. Uh, and that'll be done because, as you say, they need us more than we need them. And right now, they really need us because their economy is hurting. Uh, Doctor Doctor Branch, go ahead. Well, I, uh, I I like your economist, by the way, and I'd like to hear from Valerie too, because I, I enjoyed what she had to say on Social yeah. Security. But yeah, absolutely. Valerie, going go with ahead. Uh, yeah, but going with what the the economist was saying, it, it, you're absolutely right. 
the beautiful part about Trump, and 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 this is for all your panel and your your, your listeners out there. China is a communist country. However, with the business dealings that we've been doing with now for decades, they rely on capitalism. Trump has hurt them. I mean, you look at China's economy last year. It was one of the most underperforming economies in the world per capita. And the reason is is because of Trump. Did it hurt some of our numbers? Sure, but our numbers are high. Since our numbers are high, we're winning that battle. And to me... China has to come to our uh, has to come to the table because their people are suffering. You know, we we don't know that suffering that the Chinese people are actually are actually doing right now. And the government yeah. has to do something. And China and mm-hmm. and when Trump brings them to the table and as your economist says sometime around March but before summertime comes around and I 100% agree with this. There's going to be a tremendous deal, and you want to see an economy boom. Economy will boom when that happens. I mean, get it? Yeah. You know that stock market is going to go bananas when that happens. Yes. Well, me, me, and uh, my economist, Dr. Bussler, we've, I mean, we've been predicting what, Dr. Bussler, six percent. It once this trade deal gets done with China, six percent GDP. Um, th- uh, th- th- that's that's very optimistic. I would certainly like to see that. It's not out of the question. Um, uh, if it could do that for at least a quarter or two, I don't know if it can sustain that rate of growth uh, for the entire year, although um, there's been years when the U.S. economy uh, has done that. Uh, 1984, after the uh, Reagan tax cut, the economy grew at a 7.5% annual rate. Uh, so we can get up there, and the fact that Really, for the last uh, two decades, since the year 2000, we really haven't had good economic growth. We haven't had 3% growth since the year 2005. We're likely to hit it in 2018. We haven't had 4% growth since the year 2000. That's, the, the long, in my view, the longest period of economic stagnation in U.S. history. Even during the Depression, we had a year or two where growth uh, exceeded 3%. So there's certainly a lot of, I think, pent-up demand and um, what Trump is, is doing uh, is getting the economy uh, going, uh, adding uh, growth to the economy. And I think you're right. If we can finally get a deal with China, the trade part's not that tough, I don't think. Uh, it's all the intellectual property stuff that they're taking from sure. us uh, that's going to well, be um, a little bit of a hassle. Yeah. Rory, if I could ask your economist a question, because a lot of people don't yeah, understand. Yeah, go ahead, Dr. Branch. And this this is for the benefit of your listeners. What does 1% GDP mean as far as revenue and as far as jobs? Uh, So uh, are you saying if we increased uh, GDP growth by 1%, what kind of impact would that have? Yeah, which is pretty much what what happened. When Trump got into office, we were running it under a 2% uh, rate. Uh, Since he's gotten into – yeah. And since he's gotten into office, we've been running over a, a 3% rate. So we've picked up about the, you know, 1.5%. The result of that, uh, you know, we have a $20 trillion uh, uh, economy. So you're talking another uh, $300 billion in output being produced uh, by increasing the growth rate from that 1.7 up to 3 in the, in the, and how in the low jobs? threes. Well, uh, it's adding millions. Um, 
to come That's up with right. the exact number, it probably um, I would estimate uh, in the two years probably five million jobs uh, have been cr- created sure. as a result of well, that. You've, doubled it, G- it, it, you've yeah. almost doubled GDP, and since you've almost Peak doubled GDP, right. that's in the trillions. Okay, right. and the job growth is in 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 the in in the tens of millions. So if that happens. And we, you know, and, and that's why when people, that's why the Democrats really want us to start arguing about a $5 billion wall. It's almost, it <laughs> right. is insignificant. You have a trade deal with, with and, and you have the new NAFTA deal now with Canada and Mexico uh, putting to the RGDP. You, you make a deal with China, and you know what? All they have to argue about is a wall because this economy will be like we haven't seen in generations. And that's right. what's amazing. And to me, they want us, they want intellectuals on the conservative side to argue about a, a $5 billion wall when that's not even the narrative. You see China, and, and I agree 100% with you, if you see a 6% GDP and you're putting, you know, you're 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 almost doubling the 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 GDP now. Are you kidding me? The trillions that would come into this country, the quality of life, and to me that that is insurmountable as far as any argument that a Democrat socialist can bring up to us. I mean, it, it it's, yeah. it's just it, it it is amazing, and I agree with you. So when we're arguing about a five billion dollar wall. When one deal can bring us in, you know, five or six trillion dollars, that's amazing to me. And that's the power of Trump. Right. And that's what he understands about the deal. Very true. And, you know, the real the real uh, everything you said, I, I agree with 100 uh, percent. And uh, the, the real uh, good part of all this growth is it's going to provide everybody opportunity. And that's really what people want. Even the people that 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 uh, are in the lower income, they they don't want handouts. They want opportunity to earn things them, themselves. The gov- the Democrats think they just want free uh, health care, uh, free education, uh, more food stamps, more welfare. Uh, they don't want that stuff. They take it because they have no other option. But what they really want is an opportunity to earn the money themselves and pay for it themselves. And if our economy starts growing like that, and boy, uh, I hope it does. If if we start growing like that, there will be opportunity for everybody. Nobody will get stuck in a job they don't like because there's opportunity for uh, in uh, to go into other jobs. Um, there'll be opportunity for for uh, people that uh, have thought they're, they've been dropped out of the labor market for so long. There'll be opportunity for them to come back in. Everybody would stop being so angry at each other too. So I think it has a lot of positive uh, aspects out of a high growth economy. Exactly. You're absolutely, you're absolutely right. We we do have we do have about three minutes left. I, I wanna I wanna you know touch on uh, a couple final topics that I didn't get to earlier in the show, but I think it's important that I do real quick. Um, first of all, the the situation with you know you're seeing all of this come out, like with Liam Neeson, you know something he said 20, 30 years ago. Uh, the media is making a huge deal out of it. He didn't even use the N-word. Uh, we all, if anybody knows the story, one of his friends got raped by a black guy, and then he said he was going to find that black bastard. You know, didn't use the N-word, didn't, didn't go down that route, 
but obviously it was a guy that was upset in the moment. And in an interview, he was man enough to admit, you know, a emotional situation he was going through years ago, and then they used it against him. Um, it's fascinating. And, and Gianni, I know you've been following this closely, but before I do that as well, another social justice issue that's bothering me and bothering other people is that Jesse Smollett guy out of Chicago who's refusing to share his phone records with the police department, and he's the gay guy off Empire, the TV show, who claims he got attacked by a couple of Trump supporters and said, this is mega country bitch, quote-unquote. Uh, but he still has yet to provide evidence, and he is hesitant about talking to cops. And I have seen so many liberals and so many activists and people in this situation make up this kind of stuff so many times uh, to try to make themselves look like a victim. Uh, I don't want to say that's the point, the case here, because I don't know, but I'm suspicious. Gianni, go ahead. Well, first, when it comes to the Liam Neeson thing, you know, I, you know, I really don't. I mean, I love the memes coming from it, but other than that, you know, I really don't. I mean, it was something he said in the past, you know, and he asked for forgiveness, and I, I understand that you would have that aspect of being mad, you know, like I'm going to go find this black bastard because of what happened, yeah. you know, but he, he asked for forgiveness yeah. and I'm totally okay with that. Um, when it comes to the, the, the celebrity sec- guy, you know, I on smell, this, on the, real quick. Yeah. I smell grade A bullshit. I mean, this guy, what happened was he's gay. <laughs> he went to a part of town where there's a lot of people that are gay and he got beat up probably from you know, a drug deal or something. I well, that's what I believe happened. But won't even well, turn he over talk, the phone. He went to sub. He went to Subway at two in the morning. He said the guys that attacked him had a ski mask on. They were in shorts. They were in all this kind of summer weather, and it's minus twenty in Chicago. Give me a break, bro. And they had white paint exactly. that they splashed them with. Come I on, mean, dude, come on. and bleach. Come this on, yeah. Exactly, and then the guy said, "This is MAGA country." Like, come on, this is Chicago, not Alabama. Like, come on, no dude. one's around running around like, Chicago saying. Do you MAGA really country. think some? Do you really think some Southerners are going to come in the middle of Chicago at two a.m. and try to fucking rob? Excuse my language, but rob you? Come on, man. <laughs> exactly. I'm just like, come on. Um, it's ridiculous, and I, I want to announce uh, a big thing. Uh, headline that came out in the news Catholic student Nick Sandman Is preparing to sue the media And the liberal celebrities For libel for everything They put him through and the students At Covington High School in Kentucky I give this kid praise I give his parents praise I give the attorneys praise They gave these people 48 hours To come out and say they were sorry For slandering these kids Who I'm talking about uh, Is the liberal media and these liberal celebrities, they didn't apologize. They didn't go back on their statements, even though they were shown a full video of what really happened. So I'm glad that they're that they're going in and suing. Uh, that, that Nick Sandman is going in and suing and taking care of business because you can't let people, uh, you know, slander your name and ruin you uh, with such uh, ignorance. I mean, this guy, uh, the Native American, is a known left wing activist. He's been at many. Democratic events in the past protesting certain uh, policies. So this isn't anything new. Um, and and do, even the last thing, we have about remember? a minute left. We have about a minute left, and then I want to get final thoughts. But 
Do you remember you know, what the happened with Virginia the Virginia is blowing my mind. The Democrat uh, with the Ralph nickname Coonman Northam, uh, he won't even resign. And the guy's trying to act dumbfounded that his nickname was Coonman in high school. Come on, dude. You know who you were. You know that you dressed in the KKK wardrobe. You know that you're a scumbag. You know that you're racist. You know that you're guilty. Man up. If this, if this was a Republican, I mean, the media would be having a goddamn firestorm. But since it's a Democrat, he gets a pass, and then he makes up stuff about the black guy that's about to take his spot, the, uh, the, the guy under him. And then now the attorney general apparently comes out and says, uh, white guy says he wore blackface. So this is so weird. Three people in within twenty within a couple days time frame come out and support this um, governor in, in Virginia. Next next on the list is a Republican. So Virginia is about to turn this thing red. I love it. So uh, Jesus, but we're gonna I'm gonna have to talk more about this uh, tomorrow on the show. But Jesus, Coon Man Ralph, this guy is something else, man. When you go by Coon Man as your nickname. You're guilty. I don't care who you are. You're a guilty man. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'll tell you, that, that's guilty right there. Guilty as charged. Um, and, uh, big announcement today. Clinton, Comey, and Holder are being targeted by the GOP bill for lying to Congress. Because if they're, if they're going to try and hold uh, people like Roger Stone and Paul Manafort accountable – GOP is going after uh, Clinton, Comey, and Holder. So let, let's hope this stands up and, and, and keeps afloat and doesn't go away because we need these people on the left to be held accountable as well. We can't, them, we can't let them get away with what they've been getting away with. Um, I do want to get everybody's uh, thoughts on uh, where people can find you. Uh, first of all, Dr. Branch, go ahead. I'm going to get you back on uh, tomorrow, Dr. Branch, if, if possible, or early next week because you didn't get enough in, but uh, please tell everybody where they can find you. Well, hey, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on. I enjoyed your panel tonight. I, I want to thank your uh, one person there for his service as well to our country. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm on Facebook, doc, uh, Bob Branch, or you can yep. email me at Dr. Dr. Period Robert Branch at gmail.com. Get a hold of me. I'll be on your show yep. anytime. You know I appreciate you, Rory. Anything yeah, I can yeah. do to help you, help the cause, and, you know, God yeah. bless Donald Trump. He had a home run. So, God, God bless you, Dr. Branch. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Let's go to Dr. Bustler real quick, 30 seconds, where they can find you. Uh, my Twitter is at mbustler. That's at M-B-U-S-L-E-R. And on Facebook, uh, my page is called Funding Democracy. So it's facebook.com forward we'll slash soon, funding Do- democracy. Thanks. Yep. Perfect. Uh, We'll talk to you soon, Dr. Bustler. Always a pleasure. God bless. Thank you. Uh, Gianni, real quick, where they can find you? You can find me at Gianni Rodriguez. That's Paris. Uh, That is uh, Rodriguez with a Z and two R's with Paris. Thank you. Perfect. God bless you, man. I want to say thank you to everybody for tuning into the show tonight. It's been amazing. I want to thank all my special guests. I want to thank my co-hosts. I want to thank my sponsors, and I want to thank my amazing audience. We are now downloadable in 20, and listened to in 22 different countries, listened to on over 50 different platforms online. Again, that's over 550. 
Uh, it's been an incredible show tonight. Uh, please visit the Donald J. Trump store.com. Also visit our brand new media site, the next NEX gen G E N USA.com. We'll see you tomorrow night, everybody. God bless. Cheers. Thank you. <laughs>